Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're in Gospel Saving Church today or just listening to us on SoundCloud or some podcast or wherever you're coming from, somebody gave you a CD, uh, did you know by doing so that this is pleasing to God? This Anytime we make God important to us and we do something for God or we take time out of our busy days and we listen to God or we listen for God or we listen to something that God is speaking, then this makes God pleased. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas. And this is Gospel Saving Church and one of God's true churches in these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, we always start with a word of prayer to ask God to help us understand His Word because we know that I'm not your teacher. I'm just the one that God's using to teach you His Word. And we know that I don't teach. It's just God who teaches through me. And so we know that we can only understand God's word by scripture according to the Holy Spirit. So let's ask God to help us by his Holy Spirit understand his word today. And uh, let's see what God has to say to us today. Let's pray for open hearts. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Lord, thank you for your word, for it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we, we love you. We praise you. We just ask, Lord God, that you would illuminate us today, that you would enlighten us today, Lord God, in your word, not by secret hidden truths, Lord, for those are all the evil, you know, false denominations and all the evil uh, false doctrines out there, Lord. We, we pray that you would shine your light on your word today and let your word just shine to us, Lord God, that we can, that, to help us know you more, to help us know how to live for you more, to help us know how you want us to live for you more. Please, God, teach us by your Holy Spirit. Teach us what we ought to know today. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful and preeminent name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so this week we're going to do things a little bit different. For one, I'm not going to do an overview. And for two, we're going to just jump right into a different epistle altogether. We're going to be in Colossians 1, verses 1 through 18. That would be right after uh, the books of Ephesians and Philippians. In case you're wondering, in case you want to turn there now, it's in the New Testament, past Acts and and Romans. And so uh, just for this Sunday and just for this sermon today, again, that's Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. You don't have to turn there. You can listen to me, but uh, if you want to read along, that's where you want to be. Normally, I start a book and teach verse by verse through that book until I'm finished with that book. And right now, we were just working on, about a few weeks back, we were just working on Acts. We would have been in Acts chapter 6 today, a brand new chapter. But as I said, we're changing course just for this week. Well, you want to know why. Well, why, Pastor Ed? Why? Well, did God tell you something special? No. No, unfortunately, we had a terrible illness in our family, and my father uh, has passed on to be with the Lord. My father fell on Friday, May 12th, and broke his hip. Uh, We spent about 10 or 11 days in the hospital, and about two weeks later, exactly on May 26th, unfortunately, uh, the Lord took him home to be with Jesus. And we were at in the hospital and then we were at home hospice. And so if you're a praying man or a praying woman, I hope you are, according to what we're going to even look at today in scripture, uh, me and my family are asking for prayer. And in case you're wondering, that's why I haven't taught for the last two weeks. We did not have church on Sundays. We were in the hospital and praying for his recovery and uh, it wasn't God's will to heal him. It was God's will to take him home. 
And with everything me and my family have been through these last two weeks plus, I just simply didn't have the strength nor time to put into my normal time of study for the Acts chapter 6 sermon. So God brings us a sermon today from my desire to keep serving the Lord Jesus Christ and and continuing to do the work of teaching that he's given me to do. And this is a, a section of scripture that he gave me as I asked him for direction in prayer one day in the hospital. Uh, This is a sermon that I mostly wrote at the bedside of my father while he was in the hospital. So, hey, you know, I'm going to keep on serving the Lord. Uh, Although we stay behind and we grieve and we struggle to get through the passing of uh, a loved one, of a a wonderful man of God, we got to be here while he gets to go home, but we got to be here and keep on keeping on. So let's get into our new sermon for today, shall we? And then... uh, Keep being obedient to the Lord, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Message title today, Christ, the preeminence. And today, unlike normal, we're not going to just read all the verses ahead of time. We're going to read them as we go, and then we'll just teach them as I go. So you can read along, or you can. we're going to study along, I'm just going to read them before. Verse 1, Colossians chapter 1, we read this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. You see, it's not our will that we do anything for God. The man's flesh will is to do what man wants to do. But you see here, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. It's God's will that his children serve him, and it's God that actually gives us the calling, and it's God that actually makes it possible that we can serve him. Uh, Remember in Matthew chapter 20, on this same idea, uh, a same idea of what Paul's talking about here with Timothy, uh, the Bible says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Remember, this is a parable of the workers in the vineyard, which is a picture of exactly what Paul is saying here. The landowner goes out. He goes out and he says, Hey, you, 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 and you, and you, come and come and serve me right now. And I want you to serve me for my vineyard. Well, subsequently we know in the parable, he went out, he goes out on, at the third and the sixth and the ninth and the eleventh hour to do the very same thing. He picks workers for his harvest. This was God's will. His servants would serve him. So what does he do? He goes out and he looks for those who are ready and he picks those who are ready, those who are preparing themselves, those who are waiting on the Lord for him to call them and he picks those. This is a picture in this parable of God both hiring or or you'd say calling his servants or Christians to serve him in certain times of their lives plus certain generations of his servants. And this is a picture of uh, the third and the sixth and the ninth and the eleventh hour of Christ doing this, of God doing this all the way to the end of time. And again, all picking the Christians whom are waiting, whom are who are preparing themselves for God's calling on their life for service. And to call what he did here by his will labors for his vineyard. Why? What is the what is the vineyard? The vineyard is the world. And what did he do? He called his servants to work the vineyard who's in the world that he wants us to work for. Well, he wants us to work to reach the lost of the earth, which is his vineyard. 
A Christian's job, as I said, is to be willing and ready to serve Christ, but nobody can call themselves by their own will to serve him. He is the one who calls his servants to serve him. Remember the story of the two young lads, Ahimaaz and the Cushite from 2 Samuel 18. Well, one saw, one was ready, one was intent, and then when they wanted to tell David that his son Absalom had been killed, the uh, Ahimaaz wanted to go, but he hadn't really seen. He wasn't really ready. He just, he just wanted to go. Well, when they both got to David, the Cushite had actually seen what happened, and he was actually able to give David a, a, an account of what happened, while as Ahimaaz wasn't. So God calls those who are waiting. God calls those who are preparing themselves, those who are willing to serve Christ. And God doesn't necessarily call the qualified. In fact, most times he doesn't. In fact, most times he qualifies the ones that he calls to do the work. Our job, again, is just just be ready and to be willing to serve God, for it is his will for us to serve him. Look at verse 2. To the saints, he says, and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. This was a city in Asia, and he was just telling us who this letter is addressed to, along with the most popular one-line saying throughout the whole New Testament in all the epistles, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I literally went back in the epistles and it was Romans and Colossians and Philippians and, and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And I stopped kind of looking at one point before I put very popular because I wasn't sure it was very popular. But sure enough, in Paul's addressing to each of these different church people groups, hey, uh, grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So to those of you who are in Rome and to those of you who are in this and to those of you who are in that. So that was very popular. Paul loved that. Verse 3, look at verse 3. He says this, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray always for somebody? Does that mean that he was praying every moment of every day and that he was praying without actually even taking a breath? Well, no, that's ridiculous. That means he consistently prayed for them. Over and over and over. You could probably say day in and day out, probably multiple times throughout his day. I'm sure he had a prayer time and a devotion time in the morning. But what he also had more than anything is as he as he walked through his life, he was praying for these people. He's a I pray always for you. Why? And what did he uh, what did he pray about? Why, why did he pray for them? Verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. You see, they were giving proof of their salvation by their godly love for one another and by their good godly works for Jehovah. And Paul had heard about that. And he said, hey, I'm so excited that you love God. I'm so excited that you actually look like you love God. And I'm going to pray for you because you know what? You're fruitful for God's kingdom. And you know, no matter how fruitful a Christian is for God's kingdom, we can always be more fruitful for God's kingdom. There's never a level. In fact, one of my prayers that I've prayed uh, here and there, I, I would like to pray it more for myself, but going off of the parable where Jesus said, to one servant I gave one talent, to one I gave three, and to one I gave five. And we know those, the subsequently those servants went out and they, the one made, an, well, he didn't make any, he was a worthless servant. The one that had three made another three and had six. And then the one who had five made another five. Well, I've actually prayed the Lord. I said, you know, Lord, I said, however many talents I've been given, because nobody knows how many 
talents they've been given, whether it's one, three, or five. I mean, we might have a clue as to how, if they're a little or a lot, but no matter how many talents you've been given, you know that we know we're supposed to multiply those talents. That means go out for the Lord and actually work and work the field that he's given us and do the things he's called us to do. And we know by doing those things, we multiply the talents that he's given us. And I've prayed, you know, Lord, if I've been given one or three or five, I don't want to just make another one or another three or another five. If I've been given three, Lord, I want to make, you know, whatever, 20. If I've been given five, Lord, I want to make 50 or 20 or 30. I, I want to make even more talent. I want to do more than double the talents that God has given me. I want to triple them and quadruple them. Anyway, that's something you could maybe pray for yourself too. And, and you see, they did those godly works and loved Jesus Christ. And that, and, uh, excuse me, and they did those godly works and loved like Jesus Christ told them to because of why though. Why did they do the things that they do. Why did they serve God the way that they did? Look at verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. You see, because they did these works, because they were saved. They did these works because they realized that God was good. They realized that their treasure was in heaven, not on earth. And they realized, hey, I want to sow to that. See, the Bible says that we're either going to sow to the flesh, and the flesh we will reap of, or we'll sow to the Spirit, and we'll reap of the Spirit then. We'll see, these folks realized, hey, God loves me, and Christ died for me, and God is good, and heaven is great, and I'm going to be with God. And hey, you know what? Because that's true, I want to serve God. God loves me. You know what? I'm going to do all that I can, which should be every true Christian's reason why they serve God. It shouldn't be to gain eternal reward, or it shouldn't be, well, because I, you know, people will look at me in, more of a, in a holy way. It should be because God is good, because there's hope after this life. It, it, this, this, what he said here, reminds me of, you see, it, it's, it's works after salvation, not before. It reminds me of the equation found in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared before, and that we should walk in them. The, the equation, the godly equation, the biblical equation of how good works work in a Christian's life, it's grace, God's grace, plus our faith, not our works, plus our faith first, and then that would equal godly good works. And that should be how, if you're on the path of salvation, if, you're, if you've surrendered and you've continued to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, this should be how it works. By God's grace, your faith, and then out of that relationship, out of that should come godly good works. You see, there's a biblical gospel that we live with in our world today, especially in America, but then there's a worldly gospel that's prevalent, prevalent, over prevalent in America. And unfortunately, that worldly gospel says that it's by works that we are saved, even though we know it's not of works that we're saved. It's by God's grace through our faith. That's how we're saved. So it's important that you know, whatever you, maybe you go to a real, a regular church somewhere or whatever, and if they, if they seem like the works are something that makes you good before God, you ought to be careful because the works are just supposed to be kind of like after you're born, you should grow. The works are kind of like after you're born again, 
you should be doing some works for God. Not you should be doing works for God so that you can be born again. Christians, beware. Next, look at verses 6 through 8. He says this, which has come to you, talking about this hope and all the good things he just says, which has come to you as it has in all the world, meaning that the gospel had been, you know, that the whole world had been saturated with God's good news, the gospel. Because the early Christians did more to spread the gospel with little than we do now with more. We have all of this TV and all this radio and all this technology, which is, A, it's all great. Praise God, it's all wonderful. But these guys had their feet. They had donkeys. They had ships and not the ships that we have today. And yet they literally spread the gospel throughout the whole known World, And that's what he's talking about here. And what did that gospel do? Unlike what I see it doing today in America, unfortunately, because I don't see it doing this in here today. But what it did then is he says there, and it's bringing forth fruit. And he says, and it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. So it it had given them, bore fruit amongst them. It had caused them to respond. Today in America, we don't really have too many people responding to the gospel because they think, well, I'm okay already. Hey, I've heard the gospel, I've prayed my prayer, and I'm good to go. When in actuality, very few people have had the power of God change them, unfortunately, and, and very few people have actually been altered. You know, I heard a one preacher say one time that the gospel, when it hits you, what salvation should be like is like when a train hits you, if a train were to hit you. And if you think about if a train were to hit you, yeah, yeah, you'd be dead, but there'd be one thing you would be, not only dead, but you'd be changed. The gospel, the truth of Christ, what it means to know Christ should change somebody, not just initiate a prayer and then a life lived the same as they were before. And Paul was talking about this with these guys from Colossae and these guys and gals from Colossae. Look at verse 7. And as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Now, Paul was the main one to bring these guys the gospel. You see, Paul was the main missionary dude that went throughout all Asia and was preaching the gospel to these guys. But then he says here, hey, you didn't just hear it from me. You heard it from me, but you also had kind of some, you know, confirmation from Epaphras, who who most likely uh, solidified what they heard from Paul in them. He was probably somebody God called kind of just like Paul. Uh, what we see here is what Paul did, what Epaphras did was Romans 10, 14, 15. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See? And how, how shall they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Paul, Epaphras, me, other soldiers for Christ are those like that have been sent by God to, to bring the truth of Christ, to bring the truth of God's word to the world. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. And those was like, that was Epaphras and that was Paul. Look at verses 9 through 12. For this reason we also, this is another one, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. That, again, Paul, this is Paul's second time he tells them, hey, we pray for you always. We pray for you 
always. So Paul and those soldiers of Christ with him, since the day they heard of it, uh, of their wonderfully awesome faith in Christ and faithful, you know, faithful to do good godly works, they prayed for these Christians in Colossae on a regular basis. They, he did not cease day in day out as i said earlier day in day out did you know that if you are a christian god wants you to be praying for those whom you know personally that are really children of god and also he wants you to be praying for believers true children of god all over the world on a regular basis did you know that this is something god wants us to do you see scripture is laid out as as kind of like a a diagram. Hey, hey guys and gals, this is how I want you to do these things. And Paul and Peter and James and John, they actually got the diagram right from God, right from Christ. So they actually saw how Christ did things and then they actually followed Christ and did those things. And then what they did is the Bible. They wrote the Bible so that we could see how Christ did it how they did it, and then what, how we're supposed to follow Christ and their example and then do the same. In fact, God's word actually says, he goes so far as to say about praying, you know, Christians praying for others or God's children praying for other God's children, that in Second or 1 Samuel 12, 23, uh, Samuel says this to his other children of God, the, the Israelites that were with him. He says, moreover, as far as for me, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So Samuel, by inspiration from God, actually said that not praying for our brethren and our sisters all over the world in Christ Jesus is a sin. Did you know that? So, I mean, whatever Scripture says, that's what I go by. And so if Scripture says something, unfortunately, whether I like it or not, it is what it is. It is sinful to not Pray for other Christians according to God. He wants you and me as his followers to be praying for one another. So Paul said that he prayed for Christians in Colossae without ceasing or on a consistent regular basis. And Samuel, one of Israel's greatest judges, said that it was a sin to not pray for God's kids. And if they both say these things, I say that praying for other people according to God's word is pretty darn important. And that, guess what? We ought to be praying for one another. And that's an absolute And uh, since it is better to do these things than not to do them, how do you do them? How do you pray? You may be asking, Pastor Ed, how do I even pray? You know, I I pray once in a while, but but I'm not really, you want me, say God wants me to pray, but how do I pray? Maybe, you know, you just don't know how to pray. Well, that's okay. Now, however you pray is fine. You know what? God is not going to judge you on your prayer. As long as you have an earnest heart before God, and you're praying for his kids all over the world, number one, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. And, and number two, as long as you have an earnest heart, God will lead you. But, it, but if you want to know how to pray, specifics, right? Because that's important. God's word actually has the answer. I'm glad you, you know, were, were said, how do I pray? You know, how, if you're wondering right now, how do I pray? Well, God's word has the answer. My answer is just read your Bible. Find examples of places in the Bible where it gave us ways that Jesus prayed, 
ways that the apostles prayed, things that the apostles prayed for, and then pray those things as a pattern for yourself today. And in fact, in our scripture today, we're going we're gonna to breeze through them. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but in our scripture today, verses 9 through 12, we actually have those examples of ways in which God said here through Paul that Paul prayed for these Christians in Colossae that, guess what, we can use as our pattern and our example to pray in the same way. Look at verses 9 through 12. And, and if, if I were you, because you're, you're not going to be able to write these down right now, nor you're probably going to open your Bible every single day, but if you have a prayer journal or you, ha- or you want to start having a prayer journal, which is a good godly thing to do, I would highlight or mark these verses 9 through 12 here, and then maybe go back later after today's sermon and then write them down or you know take a picture of them with your phone, all of our smartphones nowadays that we have, you know where you can, you can take a picture and then pull it up every day and be like, oh, and zoom in on, oh yeah, this is how to pray, because Paul tells us how... He prayed for these Christians in Colossae. And again, this is just like a roadmap, like an example of how we can do the same. Look at verses 9 through 12. He says this, And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, Paul knew the importance of us knowing God more. It isn't just enough to know of God. It's kind of like when you first get married. When you first get married, you know, you know, really uh, a, a little human finger thimbleful of your wife or your wife of, of the husband. They know a little bit, a finger's literal finger thimblefuls of their husband and wife. But as they continue to be married, as time goes on through the, you know, through the two and the three and the four and the five and the ten and the twenty and the thirty and the fifty-year marriages. What happens is, is you become to be filled with the knowledge of who your husband or your wife is because as you spend more time with them, as they tell you more about their lives, as you tell them more about your lives, they're going to be filled with that knowledge. And so Paul knew the, the advantage and, and, the, and the, the benefit and the definite, you know, what we're supposed to do, the, the, be filled with the knowledge of what God's will is who he is with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, getting to know what God wants us to do, getting to know who God is more. And that is something that we could be praying for one another every day. Hey, that Pastor Ed guy, man, God, fill him with the knowledge of what you really want him to do. Hey, we all should want to know what God wants us to do. We should not be like, oh, well, I'm saved and then I'm good. No, eh. That should not be the case. We should want to know what God wants us to do more. It's a great prayer. Verse 10, he says this, that you, he prays this, I should say, he prays that they, or we could say we, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. You see, there's a life that we can live and there's, you know, a life that's a pleasing life to the Lord. God says in his word that he wants us to be holy for he is holy. And so one of the ways that we could walk that's fully pleasing to the Lord would be that we would abstain from sinful lusts of the flesh, that we would abstain from, you know, the things of the world, the lusts of the world. And then so Paul prayed that. He knows the importance of walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And so therefore he prayed that. He also prayed, three, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So not only that we'd work for God, but that the work we do for God would be 
you know, good work for God. Like, you know, you can do work and it, oh, you, the, the boss comes out and what did you do? Well, I worked, boss. Well, it, it wasn't good work. Like, you just did nothing work. I, that wasn't productive work. That was unproductive. So we want to be productive for God. So be fruitful in every good work. Be productive in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at four. Strengthen with all might. We need strength to walk this life, to live this life for Jesus Christ every single day. And then, but not only strength to, to live with all, to, you know, the strength to, to live, but according to his glorious power. So you can live in your own power and or we can live in God's power. And Paul knew, and I know, and you should know, that we're not going to live very good for God if we're trying to live in our own power and our own strength. So that's why he said that he wanted, he was praying for them to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, not our own, for all patience and long suffering with joy. To keep living that way, not just to live that way for a day, right? To keep living that way, not just for a day. So this is what Paul prayed there. Verse 12, the fifth thing, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of all the saints in the light. Hey, thank you, God, that you've saved them. Thank you, God, that you've qualified them, that you've, you've made them able to be able to have eternal life. Because the Bible says that we're supposed to not only ask for things from God, but that we're supposed to be giving thanks to God for the things that he has given us. So now those are just five things out of those three verses, nine, ten, or four verses, excuse me, that God gave us there through Paul that we could be praying for each other. Now again, you can highlight those or you know put a little you know thing around them, a little brackets or something, and then go back later and then write them down or take a picture of them or take a picture of them now because those are important things. I know as a Christian, as somebody who loves God, I want you to be praying those things for me. And you know what? I need to be praying those things for you guys. That's what we need because by golly, we need all those things to walk this walk for the Lord. Now, there are many more ways to pray that Scripture brings up, but, it, but today, in case you didn't know, that number one, it was a sin for you to not pray for other Christians. Well, now you know, and I hate to tell you this, but God holds you accountable for what you know. And, and number two, in case you didn't know how to pray for God's other children, now you can start with these and, and search out the Scriptures for some more, because as God says, if you are His, you should be praying for his other children. This is one of God's wills. Now, why should we pray for other true Christians that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, filled with the knowledge of his will, all that good stuff. Why? Because he was what he says in verses 13 and 14. For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is the second time that Paul brings up the glorious good news of this is not the end here in this world. This is not the end. And this is why we should want to do all those great things for God. Because before we were saved, if we're saved, we were living in the darkness of this world. We were under the control of the evil one. 
And now, we're not that way anymore. If we're saved, we've been conveyed to the kingdom of the Son of His love. Wow. And we have redemption. Redemption from what? Redemption from what we would have faced had we faced God before we knew His Son, the wrath of God. We have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we have the forgiveness of our sins. That should make you want to dance. Seriously and literally, I'm not even kidding, like David coming home with the tabernacle following him, dancing and, and being, you know, undignified before the people of Israel. That should make us want to dance. Because although this life is terrible, although we have, we have currently, and as you already know what I told you in the beginning of the sermon, we have sufferings, tribulations, we have terrible times in life, we have death, we have the loss of loved ones, we have the loss of our loved animals, we have the loss of jobs, we have hardships sometimes we fall on financially, we have people that scorn us, people that stab us in the back, people that reject us. That's not the end. Those are just things that will happen to us here, right? That's just in this fallen in sin body that we're in. This is in the fallen world of sin that we're in. But that's not the end. And that's not where our hope should be. Our hope should be that, hey, Praise God. I've come to Christ. He's conveyed me from the power. Or he's, he's taken me from the power of darkness and he's conveyed me. He's taken me from, or placed me into the kingdom of his son, of his love. He's given us redemption. He's given us forgiven, forgiveness of sins. This is good. And if we are truly born again on that path of salvation with Christ and we stay on that narrow path until we die, there is way better to look forward to when we pass from this life to the next. Praise God as my father is knowing right now for he is knowing as he has known. And we ought to rejoice for him and, and number two, no matter what we're going through here, that we have that to look forward to as well. And that's why we should be fruitful in every good work. That's why we should want to know God more. That's why we should want to pray for each other to do all those things, right? But who's it all for? Here, we're getting to the title of the sermon. Who's it all for anyway? What reason should we be doing all these things? I mean, who conveyed us? Who took us from the power of darkness and, and, and brought us into the light? Well, Jesus Christ, of course. And, and look at how Jesus Christ, or how Paul describes this wonderful God, Jesus Christ, that all people all over the world should serve and worship on the face of planet Earth. Look at verses 15 through 18. 15, he is the image of the invisible God. How awesome is that? That, that is just, it's mind-blowing. The image of the invisible God. If you want to wrap your mind around it, because I, I know it's kind of hard, think of a mirror. Think of the mirror like when you walk into your bathroom or when you walk, you know, when you walk into your powder room or whatever, and you look at yourself in the mirror. Well, that's what Jesus Christ was, is, 
according to Paul, according to Scripture, he was the image of the invisible God. Think of it. He was God's reflection. God, like, looking into a mirror, hey, that's me, and I'm him, I'm him, and then each side, and whatever, if there is another dimension to a mirror, then, then you've got that person in the mirror going, that's me, and the person outside the mirror going, yeah, that's me. That was Jesus Christ to God, the image of God. And now, that's what the scripture says, right? An image is, is like that one. It's just their image. It's their direct reflection. No, no differences, right? If he is, which the scripture says he is, literally God's image, God's literal reflection, like in a mirror, that would mean that he was, is God himself, right? Absolutely, right? He's not just some created being. That's not what that section of scripture just told us. He's not some uh, some created being. He's an actual image, a reflection of God Almighty, right? And that makes sense because that's what Scripture says. And so if that's so, because Scripture says so, then we need to make sure that we read what Paul writes next through who Scripture says Jesus Christ is and not another way, a um, man-made way. Because he says this, it kind of gets a little confusing and people have made a false doctrine out of this. The rest of verse 15, this Jesus Christ is, he says, Paul says, the firstborn over all creation. Whoa, whoa, wait, oh, Pastor Ed, he's he's the firstborn over all? He's created. No, 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 he's not created. He's God Almighty. Many see this scripture telling us that Jesus Jesus Christ was created by God, but that is not true. It can't be further from the truth. For Jesus Christ to be a created being, then we have to literally throw out the Bible, and we have to literally throw out the things like he's the image of the invisible God, and we have to throw away things like John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and then we know in John 1.1 that Word is, is Jesus Christ, and so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, so the Word wasn't God, but it was God, right? It was the Word was its own, and then but the Word was with God. It didn't say the Word uh, was alongside it. It said the Word was with God, and then it goes on to say, and the Word was God. So we have two beings here, but we have one God, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we have to throw away uh, Isaiah 9, 6, which tells us that Jesus Christ was literally God. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, government be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, not a mighty God, but Mighty God, and then here's the clincher, everlasting father. A son will be born. Well, that's Jesus Christ, for that was the promised son of the Jewish faith. But how could it be a, a born son, but be the everlasting father? And then prince of peace. So and we also have to throw away other various scriptures where Jesus Christ professed that he and God were one in the very same, not just one in purpose, but literally one in, in being the very same being. So was Jesus Christ the created being? No way. That's a false and antichrist doctrine. He is, as the title alluded, he is preeminent. Right? He's not just a God that was created. He's just not a being that was created. He is preeminent. That means he was before. He was the first. And he's the first, as we're going to read here, of everything. So if Paul's not saying here in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus Christ was a created being, what was he saying? We'll look down to verse 18. He was saying, let me get there, excuse me. 
And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What is Paul talking about there? He's talking about how Jesus Christ was the first to be resurrected from the dead. And we know that Jesus Christ was the first person, the first being to have a resurrection where he, left, he died in this flesh, then he rose again, and then he resurrected in a, a new body, Right When he came back, he didn't have the same sinful body, but it looked like his old body, but it wasn't a sinful body because in that same body, he went to heaven. And you see, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So you see that Paul was writing here, he was the firstborn of all creation, the, per, the, the new person like that's going to be created in heaven in our resurrected bodies when we go to be with the Lord after when the resurrection comes, not once we die. It's kind of a little complicated. I'm not going to talk about it too much right now, but that's what Paul was saying. Moving on, verse 16 of the preeminent Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Look at that. For by all thing, or for by him all things were created. That means he is the creator. Think of how powerful this is, guys. He is the creator. He is preeminent. He's the first, that's for sure. But what Paul just said here is, remember in the beginning, remember Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that, let there be this. What Paul just told us is in the beginning, who we saw that was creating everything was Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one where it said, and God said, let there be light. Jesus Christ is the one who said, let there be light. For all things were created by him that are in heaven and earth, visible and visible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through him and for him. So they were not only created by him, but God also created them through him. Damn, that is just mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Just remember, Jesus Christ is preeminent. Verse 17, one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. What does that mean? All things consisting means that he's holding everything together. That means if Jesus were to say right now, Hey guys, you know what? Hey, hey God, uh, you know, Father, uh, you know what? I'm, I don't want to hold everything together anymore. I'm just going to let it all go. Then that means that we'd all completely break apart into trillions and trillions and hundreds and trillions of trillions of trillions of pieces, and we would not be held together anymore because in Him all things consist or are held together together. It's really funny. Uh, one, one pastor some years back talked about something called laminin. If you guys have ever heard of this, you can look it up. L-A-M-I-N-I-N, laminin. It's a very powerful, it's a protein in the body actually. And it's uh, defined by science and by the, you know, whatever definitions is a glue that holds all cells and tissues together. 
And that would be all cells and anything that's living. And, and we know that everything has you know, matter and there's cells and matter and all that. So this is laminin is a glue in a sense that holds all things together. Well, if you look it up, the general picture under the super magnifying microscope is that laminin looks like a cross. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wild? Because here we read the Bible, and science actually confirmed what the Bible says, yet science claims that God doesn't exist. Much science claims, I should say, much science claims that Christ and God doesn't exist. Yet, even in the studies of natural science, we see a cross as the glue that holds all things together. (laughs) Christ is preeminent, even in science, everything. Verse 18, finishing up. He's not only first in all creation, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things we, or he, may have the preeminence. In all things, God wanted Christ to be first in everything. Firstborn from the dead, he was the first one to be resurrected. He's he is the head of the body, which is the church. Any Christian church, any real Christian church, its head is Jesus Christ. In in creation, we see laminin. Jesus Christ is preeminent, holds all things together. He is first by him, through him, and for him, all things were created. Jesus Christ is preeminent, and that is the end all. All creation, body of Christ, the church, created things in the universe, holding then, we know, verse 17, all things together. Without Christ, we would be in trouble. (laughs) Without Christ, without his consistence in holding us together, we wouldn't even be. That's something that we should thank God for today. Amen? We should be thanking God that Jesus Christ even holds us together at all. <laughs> Look at Philippians 2, 9-11. through 11. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow. He's preeminent that we're all going to bow to him. Who? Who's going to bow to him? Of those in heaven those on the earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> We're all heaven, earth, under the earth. Every, every knee's going to bow, whether they want to or not, and every tongue's going to confess, whether they want to or not, Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Which is why Paul quotes what God said in, of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 45, 23 in Romans 14, 9 and 11. Look at down to 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. There we see his preeminence again. Verse 11. As I, as I live, this is a quote from Isaiah, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So there we have Christ even having the preeminence Again, even quoted all the way back several thousands of years before it was ever written of God in Isaiah. And then the angel of God's, of Christ's preeminence in Revelation 17, 14. He is the Lord, capital Lord, of Lord, small Lord, that would make, that would be people. And King, capital K, of Kings, small K, lowercase K, would be people. He is the Lord, the master 
of all, the king, the leader, the general of all little people, of all people, for Jesus Christ is preeminent. <laughs> that's, that's just so wonderful. Now, unfortunately, in closing, although Jesus Christ is preeminent, he's the first, he's the head over all things in heaven and on earth, uh, of all things created and that exist, and even though the Bible says because of this preeminence that every knee of every person will bow to him whether they want to or not, every tongue will confess him as Lord whether they want to or not, sadly doesn't mean that everyone will do these things willfully. Sadly, everyone will not bow their knee to Jesus Christ willfully, and sadly, every tongue will not confess Jesus Christ literally, and they won't do it willfully. Everyone will bow to him and confess him as Lord, but not everyone will do it because they want to. Hence, that tells us that some will be forced to, even though they will not want to, even loathing the idea. Haven't said this for a long time, but it's time to say it again because Christ is preeminent and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Christ. But to Christ, you will bow your knee now or you will bow your knee later, but it is for sure you will bow at some point. You can either make him master and Lord now or he will be master and Lord No matter what, at some point, you will bow now or you will bow later. Because you see, even though Christ is preeminent and Lord over all, doesn't mean that you have and you have or you will have to or that you will choose to bow and confess him as Lord willfully and choose to surrender him as Lord of your life. Because unfortunately, I wish God did. And this is one thing I kind of don't like about God. But he actually gives people choice. I, I wish... He didn't. I wish that people would just be made to serve him and then that's it. And we'd all would and we'd all be robots. But you know, I say that in one tone, but in another tone, I sure do like my free will, whether I can serve God or not. I just don't like the fact that because we have our free choice that some people, most, a lot of people won't choose him and then they won't be with him forever. So it's kind of like I'm torn there. But you see, this time we live in now, since Jesus Christ came the first time, he's coming back, you know, I don't know if you know that he's coming back a second time is a time of great grace from God where where he's stretching out his hand to all mankind to offer them life in his son, Jesus Christ. But see, God is good, unlike me. I'm I'm not good like God. He, He doesn't force anyone to take that. He doesn't force people to surrender to him and to and to surrender to his son. He gives us that choice. And you can choose to either accept his way now or not. It's up to you. And he gives us that choice. But again, Christ is preeminent, but not over your free will to choose him or reject him. So which have you chosen today? Have you chosen to bow your knee to him and confess him as Lord and live for him and serve him now? Or are you choosing to be forced to bow later? Because you will bow at some point. God is so good. His love is so extravagant. I was talking about it just before church, how good God is and how much he's helped us through all this terrible time that we've gone through lately with my father passing and all the, the stuff going on and all the hospice at home and all that hurtful stuff. But God is so good. He's been with us and walked with us hand in hand the entire time. He was there before we were born. He'll be there after we die. 
Christ is preeminent and God will always be. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay for our sins, not to force us to be his, but to give us an opportunity to be his. To give us an opportunity to have life and not the death that we're born in. Whom have you chosen? Have you chosen to bow your knee now or have you chosen to bow your knee later? God loves you so very much. And he wants you to bow your knee now willfully. But he won't force you. But who have you, what have you chosen in your life? Have you chosen to make Christ preeminent in your heart and life daily already? Or haven't you? That's really what it boils down to. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, All those who desire to come after me must deny themselves. That's at the point where we surrender. That's at the point where we willfully choose to bow our knees now. And we willfully choose to get down in our hearts and we humble ourselves before God and we say, Jesus Christ, I want to be delivered from this darkness. Get me into your kingdom. I want to be yours. I want to be with you forever. That's the point of surrender. That's where salvation happens. But then as it goes on, We see that that bowing the knee doesn't stop there. He says, all those that desire to follow me must deny themselves, the point of surrender, pick up their crosses, and in the Gospel of Luke, he says, daily. That means we're supposed to daily choose to live a lifestyle that's pleasing and holy to him. And he'll give us the ability to do that once we become saved, and I can testify to that because I was not a holy person before God saved me, but I am now. And you see, daily, we have to choose to make Christ preeminent in our lives, even if we've been saved, because the world does really have a strong hold and a strong allure. And we have to choose daily to, you say, pick up our crosses, choose to live for Christ, and then he says, follow after me. And then, of course, we know that this is a daily thing as well, too. So I don't know where you're at, but you know the kind of lifestyle and you know the kind of life that you live and you know the choices that you've made or supposedly made. And if you're really saved, if you're really a truly a child of God, then the Bible says that you ought to be living like Christ. Are you? Or have you never ever even made that choice to bow the knee now? (laughs) Christ is preeminent and he loves you. But you'll only have that choice to bow your knee now willfully till you die. Once you die, it's too late. If you haven't bowed the knee willfully before you die, then when you die, you will bow the knee, but it won't be willfully. And you won't die as God's kid. And you'll die with all your sins standing before God, and He'll judge you on all that sin instead of His grace and His sacrifice through Jesus Christ. Please keep that in mind. I don't know where you're at, but He wants you to bow now not later. So please, consider where you're at and make a choice. God loves you. Make a choice on God loves you. Don't make a choice on all oh, the world is so good because the world is not good. There's all worlds full of sin, worlds full of hate, worlds full of disease and, and death. And, but God, He's full of goodness. He's full of grace. Bow your knee now if you haven't already and bow your knee daily if you have already begun to bow. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, dear God, for your grace. We just, 
I pray, Lord God, right now for those listening to this message, Lord God, I pray that if they haven't bowed their knee now to Christ, the preeminence, Lord, I pray that they would. I pray that you would get them to bow even right now, Lord God. Show them that they're not where they think they are or show them that they're not where you want them to be. Lord God, help them to make that step. (laughs) For it is your will that none perish and all come to repentance, Lord. Repentance unto life, Lord God. That's a repentance that leads to everlasting life, God. I pray, please, God, if anybody's listening out there and they're not yours, I pray, dear God, that you would bring them to the throne of grace, bring them to the cross of Christ, that they would bow their knee now and surrender to Jesus today. I pray, dear God, for those of us that are yours, though, Lord, also, that, Lord God, that we wouldn't just have bowed the knee when we started, Lord, but I pray we'd be bowing our knee every day, Lord, to you in our hearts, Lord, that we would surrender every day to your way, Lord, and that we would decide to pick up our crosses and really, truly crucify our flesh with all its passions and follow after Jesus Christ daily, Lord God living to glorify you, strengthened with all your might, coming to a greater knowledge of you, living a life that's pleasing, Lord, unto you. Lord God, those are just some of the things that your word says that I can pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, which I just did. Thank you, Lord God. Sanctify us more and more and more and help us to shine like Christ more and more and more. That let, Lord, as your word says, that we may be today as Jesus Christ was when he walked the face of the planet. We thank you, Lord God, and we love you and we praise you for all your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your help. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.